And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. You're a fan of Chicago Bulls, and you're used to seeing Joaquin Noah as kind of a uh, modular energy unit for the entire team. Uh, and a source of endless annoyance to the rest of the NBA, and you love them for it. Uh, but if you live in the city, uh, you also uh, have to appreciate the effort that he's put in uh, to try and deal with this horrendous problem of crime and violence in the, in the community and kids uh, who are badly in need of, uh, of diversions and direction. And Joakim, in conjunction with his mother, have provided that with something called the Noah's Ark Foundation. And he's an endlessly interesting guy, the son of an, uh, a black father, the tennis player Yannick Noah, a white mother, uh, a sculptor from Sweden uh, who grew up half in France, half in New York, uh, and uh, uh, has an interesting cut uh, on the world. We had a chance to sit down the other day and uh, kick it all around. So, Joachim, you're welcome, first of all. You're, uh, your father's a, a world-class athlete and performer. Uh, your mom's a sculptor. You've, you've actually lived a pretty privileged life uh, on two continents, right, in France and in, in the U.S. Uh, but you spent a lot of time since you've been in Chicago in the inner city um, working with kids and trying to... In- interdict on gangs and why 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 were you drawn there um i think for a few reasons i mean first of all uh, i think i was um raised raised that way to uh, to give back my father had a foundation when he was playing tennis and still does and um, does a lot of great work in france building tennis courts in the inner city for for the kids and making sure that they have coaches and uh, the important, the importance of academics and all that is all part of his foundation. Um, this is something that I always wanted to do as a basketball player, and uh, and just growing up in New York City, um, I always uh, I was raised in community centers, and uh, I know how important they are. And just coming here, I feel like it was just such a blessing to be here for such. It's such a blessing to be here for such a long time. Me and my mother decided to start a foundation. And the city's been so great to me, um, so many ways. I just thought that it was important to uh, to give back and um, try to help uh, in some of the issues that are in the city. When you were growing, when you were growing up in New York, you mentioned traveling around. You travel around to play ball. Did you run into uh, kids who? Uh, you obviously ran into kids who had a completely different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Was that eye opening to you? Was yeah, no question. Um, you know, I was around a coach who believed in me. Um, rest in peace, Mr. Green. Mm-hmm. And um, and I would just... He was a guy who really took you under his wing, Took right? me under his wing. And he worked at a PAL a couple blocks away from my house. And I remember in this, the first summer I moved to New York, I was 12 years old. Um, he, I left with my friend, uh, with my family, with my mother and my sister, and we went back to France and... 
uh, traveled a little bit in the summer, and he said, look, if you want to be serious with this basketball thing, you have to stay with me. And um, the next summer, I stayed with him all summer, and I was able to really go around the city and stay with him. And he worked in all these different community centers in uh, Astoria Projects in Queens, uh, in Bed-Stuy, in, in Brooklyn. And, you know, I was just uh, was able to, um, you, know, you know, feel and, and see, see poverty for the first time in my life. Uh, it was a de- different. It was definitely different than the way I was raised. And uh, it was definitely eye-opening. Um, you know, academically, how far how far behind some of the kids were, uh, and I just knew from that point that if basketball was, if I was going to make it to the NBA, I was going to use my platform to um, to bring awareness and to to help in the best way I can. How did these uh, How did these kids deal with you? Did they? I mean, you they must have known you weren't from there, right? Yeah, I definitely. They made me feel it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they made me feel it, but it made me tougher. Uh huh. It made me tougher. Uh huh. And uh, uh, and when you say they made you feel it, I assume that means they kicked your ass a lot. <laughs> um, a lot of trash talking. Um, yeah, I got. I mean, I didn't get beat up too much, but on the court, yeah, I got beat up on the court pretty bad. I remember Lenny Cook used to he used to beat me up too, and. Uh, he was the number one player in the country. He just punched me in my chest and told me like it was for my own good. <laughs> <laughs> Did you appreciate it a lot then? Did you say give me another? <laughs> Not then. Now, now I do. Now I do. What Not happened to him? Um, uh, you know, he was the number one player in the country at the time, ranked ahead of guys like uh, Carmelo Anthony, you know, LeBron James, and he just let um, distractions get in the way. And so... Uh, it's a sad story, you know. He's somebody who should be playing with us uh, at this level, but um, just got caught up in all the wrong things, a lot of red flags, and then um, he got a few injuries, and it just didn't work out. So it's just I always try to tell the you know the young people who are coming up who have you know, aspirations of playing at the next level. It's all about progress. You know, you just have to keep keep working, keep working, and it doesn't matter how good you are when you're 14, 15, your mindset has to always be on that, um, on getting better. And you must run across kids all the time who want to be you, who think that this is their, this is their future, that they're going to be an NBA player, but hardly any of them will. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you say to those kids? I mean, you want to encourage them. Mm-hmm. But you also want them to be realistic about their lives. Yeah, well, I never want to take away from from somebody's dreams, you know. Um, but the reality is uh, there's only 450 NBA players, maybe less. So um, I tell them that, you know, the importance of academics. Uh, and I pre- try to preach that even though it's tough. You know, I hated doing my homework when I was a kid too. But I think it's something that's very important. And I also tell them, you know, the best times of my life were when I was in college. So I have one more year left, and it's definitely something that I want to accomplish and finish when um, when my basketball career is over. Your eligibility is gone, right? You can't go back and play for Florida. <laughs> no. Uh, so um, when you when you spend time – tell me a little bit about your program, first of all. But I, I want to know when you uh, what you see 
when in these communities uh what are these kids facing um a lot and uh you know i try not to talk down on anybody uh, i try not to preach too much because i know i never came from um the world that a lot of these kids in chicago have to deal with there's a lot of um division in this city um a lot of um a lot of invisible lines that you know we don't see that are very real to to these kids you know no i can't go up you know two blocks up that way because i could get hurt or i can't go because it's a different this is gang stuff or? yeah mm-hmm. yeah um and you know a lot of it is not even you know being being in a gang it's um coming from this block or coming from this area and you know i think it's something that um you know if you're not from the inner city and if you're if you're not from certain neighborhoods you don't understand but you know for a 10-year-old kid who has to walk to school or you know walk a couple blocks to go to to go to get to a school bus or go to a certain park that's very real you know um you think chicago is you've been around do you think chicago is worse in that regard than other cities and why do you think that is well i think um I think it's not being um worked on enough. I mean, um we have to find more solutions, more social programs for these kids because right now I feel I personally feel like there's not there's not enough. There's not enough for them. There's a lot of there's a lot going on. We can we can point the fingers at families at um you know the parenting and whatever but we have to find ways to to help the kids because it's it's getting to a point where it's almost like I feel like they're getting failed a little bit what 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 are you trying to do i'm trying to bring as much unity to this as possible and to um um i'm just trying to do, i'm a i'm a basketball player the end of the day, you know, and I'm not saying that I have all the answers to right. this. I don't. Um but that gives you a certain cachet, right? I mean, I think probably being close to 7 feet tall gives you some cachet too, but talking to these kids, they know everybody knows who you are and they respect who you are and what you've done. Uh does does that give you a platform with them? I think so. I think it, it I think it help it, it definitely gives me a platform and I think these peace tournaments help bring a Yeah tell you, we should tell people <clears throat> you 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 run peace tournaments where different gang members gang members get mixed and play together and uh, well, it's not just not just gang members but just kids from different communities mm-hmm. you know um because at the end of the, at the end of the day they're kids you know when you see uh a 13-year-old or a 12-year-old, I mean, for, for me, seeing them from different areas playing against each other, that's, I grew up in New York City, that's normal. It's not normal here um, for, for, for some reason. So just, just having them play basketball with each other and then eating a slice of pizza and talking, it's a big deal. 
because <laughs> it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen here. That's how divided these neighborhoods are. That's how violent these neighborhoods are. And right now, you know, with everything that's going on with the with the police and everything that's going on, it's just we just got to find ways to unify this thing because it's just it's out of control. And I know it's something that, you know, we don't like to talk about. It's like you you, you turn on the news and it's like people in Chicago are like numb to it because it's it's every day. But we have to find solutions where everybody can um, you know, be able to say, okay, I, I, I did my part. I did my part. So you do the, the peace tournament. You also have the program that you and your mom uh, have done together through the Noah's Ark Foundation, mm-hmm. art and basketball. And basketball. So how, how, tell, talk about that. Um, my mother's very involved uh, in, in creating this foundation that we did uh, five years ago. And I think this is on a on a on a small scale, but you know my mother's very involved with uh, doing art with the kids, art therapy, where kids can through a sculpture um, can speak about, can talk about their feelings or how they're feeling that day or um, whatever they're feeling. And my mom's able to get that out of the kids, which is uh, I think it's it's very beautiful. Every time I go into the art room and see her work with the kids, it's something that's that's very special. Um, what, you, she must learn things. They must interesting stuff must come out in this artwork, huh? Very. It's very powerful because a lot of these kids have a lot of um, a lot of things um, that are deep, deeply rooted inside of them that they might not ever talk about. And just through a sculpture, they're able to to express themselves in ways maybe they thought wasn't possible because they might have felt. It made them soft, or for whatever reason, it's not something that you would really talk about in a classroom, your feelings, you know. Um, but for some reason, in a sculpture, um, a lot of the kids feel more comfortable um, speaking about it because it's not them directly, it's a sculpture. And I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's awesome. I'm very proud of How old of are the this. kids? Um, <clears throat> we do a lot, of, a lot of different, a lot of different ages, um, um, but from you know six to eighteen, hmm. and uh, and then we have the and then we have the basketball leagues, and I think the basketball leagues are important. You know what? It's not and it's not just about the art and the basketball. It's just keeping the kids busy. You know, mm-hmm. just it's you know we're we're all about whoever is you know. There's a lot of people, a lot of heroes in this city putting in a lot of work in the community, a lot of great social work. And I think it's just important to, you know, be as supportive as we can for for those groups, and um, and just you know, getting midnight basketball leagues and just keeping keeping the kids off the street and keeping them busy. What? Uh, yeah, I mean that. There's an awful lot of idle time, uh, particularly in the afternoons where kids are uh, are running around in the city, um, and I, and you're filling the gap there. Um, are you going to try and take this to a bigger scale? As much as I can, you know. Um, for right now, it, it's a, it's a very small it's a very small what we're doing. You know, it's a, it's a couple community centers, one on the west side, one on the south side. But I mean, it's a lot of kids out there, you know. And I feel like it's hard because I feel like we're our hearts are in the right place and we're 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 trying. But the truth is, 
when you see the numbers and you see everything that's going, we're losing. We're losing. And, um, you know, you can get um, love from people and, you know, oh, you're doing such great work. And, you know, I am proud of the work that we're doing. But the truth is, uh, in the back of my mind, I always know that we're losing. So how do we win? We have to find solutions. We have to, uh, somehow, we got, just like we were talking about, we have to find ways um, to build a stronger relationship um, with the people in the neighborhood and the policing. I mean, I think this is a big issue right now. Yeah. What did you think when you saw that uh, tape uh, last week? That was, re- was it last week that it was released? That is obviously the center of everything in Chicago right now. The police officer shooting that, uh, that 17-year-old kid. It's horrible. It's horrible, man. It's disappointing. But, I mean, I feel like the issues, I mean, the resentment and the connection between police and the community has been non-existent before this tape, you know. I don't know. What happened in that tape is horrible. I mean, words can't even describe, you know. But, I mean, there has to, somehow there's got to be a way to, to... to build a trust because right now there's absolutely no trust. You've done a lot on, um, I know you you're t- you were tight with the ceasefire guys, uh, so you've done a lot on sort of, uh, in addition to the tournament violence stuff, I know your mom created this uh, pendant uh, and you have this rock the drop thing, raising money for your program, an anti-violence program. Um, how, uh, how do you get at that? That issue, guns, people resolving disputes that way. Uh, what do you say to these kids about that? Um, I think it's I think it's deep. It's 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 very deep because now we're at a point where um, these guns are um, a part of 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 they're part of life in America and I mean, it's very political obviously um, I'm a basketball player and I think right now it's it's way past just telling kids to you know put the guns down you know these kids are losing brothers um, sisters cousins you know retaliation these are, this is part of these kids realities um you know, and I think that you know, guns are just such a big part of American culture. Um, well, you add that to not having a whole lot of hope or expectations about life. These uh, kids are getting their hands on AKs. So, I mean, what are we doing about it? Like, as like as leaders who can make. The, I mean, I don't know who makes the, those kind of decisions, but as leaders. These are the kind of weapons. <laughs> I, well, there's a Congress is a place I could. I'll give you some uh, addresses. You can write some strong letters about this. But this is, you know, I mean, you know the story. You're a smart guy. I mean, this has been a long-standing problem. And you know, you get to the point where there's so many guns out there that the argument starts becoming, well, there's so many guns out there, it won't make any difference anyway, which is kind of a self-defeating uh, argument. I mean, it's like. No surprise to anyone. I, I feel very strongly 
uh, about this. I mean, we're, you come from another place. I mean, you've, you spent a lot of time uh, in Europe, and obviously Paris just had a terrible... Mm-hmm. And I want to talk Horrible. to you about that in a second. But uh, guns are less prevalent generally elsewhere than they are uh, than they are here. I mean, you didn't grow up there with that kind of a an issue. No, I didn't. But um, they're definitely an issue everywhere. It's not just not just in America, but somehow it's just it's just so normal to me. I mean, it's just it's so normal to to have a gun in America. That's kind of I, I wasn't. I wasn't raised that way. I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just, it's just weird to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, this is we could do a whole discussion about this. You know, there's a whole culture of hunting, and that's part of American life. But um, you know, AK-47. There isn't no. You don't need an AK-47 to hunt, except people. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand how kids are getting their hands on that kind of weaponry i mean you know i understand that in nebraska or in kind of these um those states and iowa or whatever mm-hmm. they don't have those inner city issues you know so it's not a reality to them they're more into hunting but this is not a state problem this is a national this is a national problem these kids are killing each other at a pretty crazy you know, uh, when uh, President Obama was state senator, Obama was down in Springfield, and there was a big debate on guns. And he said to a colleague from downstate, he said, I know you went hunting with your dad, and he went hunting with his, and you're probably taking your kids. And he said, but where I come from, he said, mothers sit by the window hoping that their kids come back alive and don't get caught in a crossfire. He said, there, there has to be a way to, to preserve your traditions and save our children. And I think that that is the challenge, you know, because we're a diverse country. And as you say, people have different experiences. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody's eager to take a hunter's gun away from them. Yeah. But, uh, but it's a big problem. You've worked with a lot of kids. Have you, have you lost kids who you worked with? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's very hard. It's very hard, you know, just people tried to people I've worked with I'm trying to you know find solutions to the gun violence you know next day just find out he got shot you know this is this is what's going on here it's it's very real and um you know it's um it's something that I just want to keep you know finding solutions first of all um for these kids because um at the end of the day it's kids and um, and I really feel like community centers um, and and investing in in these community centers and investing in these kids is it's it's just it's everything. You um, are there kids who particularly touched you? I mean, are the kids who you maintain friendships with? And- mm-hmm. um, well, for six years we've been working at this um, community center on the west side called Major Adams. Uh, with my mother and that's where my mom goes and teaches uh, you know two three times a week we have teachers who are there all the time um, doing the same art therapy classes with the kids and we have a basketball coach there we have we have leagues over there so we've been putting a lot of work in this one community center on the west side 
And it's funny, I'll go into that building and I'm just seeing these kids just grow up. And um, so it's not like a one-time thing and I'm just coming in and um, talking to these kids one time. No, I'm watching them grow and I'm watching how these programs are changing them and helping them. So it's uh, for me, that's, that's something I'm very proud of um, beyond, you know, Playing, playing basketball and representing the city, just being able to see these kids grow up and seeing how these programs are, are helping them. I think that I'm proud of that. You know, uh, as you were talking about, uh, people are numb to it. It's also true that uh, you live in, you live downtown Chicago or you live in some Lakeview or you live, you, you're not, exposed to it except on television you it might as well be in uh you know uh, another country and it's i you you play in an arena uh where a lot of generally very wealthy mostly white uh fat asses like me come and see you play um and um uh a lot of the these kids uh, that's like a universe away from them getting into that arena and watching those games. I know you said once that you talked about who you played for and uh, it made a big impact here. But talk a little bit about that because you must be you, – you have to absorb the, the, the gulf there, the irony of all that. Um, to me, it's not it's – not just ironic because I try to use that building to do to do um good things too you know i mean first of all i playing in that building it's it's very special you know you're you're playing um for um a franchise that has an unbelievable amount of tradition um and uh, you can tell that uh, a lot of people you know have a lot of pride i won't when they when they come into that building, and also I bring a lot of kids into that building from different backgrounds. Have them sit next to each other, talk to them sometimes after the games, and it's a place where. So you buy you 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 get a block of tickets and you bring kids to the mm-hmm. games. And you know, and the Bulls always do a great job of helping me. You know, they know what I'm doing, so they help me with with that. And we have a lot of great people who are helping helping us. With, and and just being able to vibe with the kids and and you know it's a place the Bulls games is a place where I don't care what background you're from people feel safe it's a neutral ground and you can have you know every that's one thing with sports it it unifies people that's the beauty of sports it doesn't matter what background you're from it doesn't matter what color you are if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat whatever you are you know, with sports, you can you can always um, come together. So, and the same thing goes with with these kids. So, I mean, we do it on a sm- like I said, we do it on a small scale, but you know, we're we're trying we're trying. Yeah. Well, I I was a lot ne- more negative on the whole deal than you were. I must <laughs> say. I but um, but you uh, talk a little bit about that though when you talked about. Um, Playing for the guy in the third balcony and playing for the guy, you know, and you pass by on the street and so on. Um, well, I feel like I feel like um, I do. 
Um, you know, I feel like my father was that way when he played. You know, he was a dread tennis player, um, black guy. Um, you know, and you know, I think he he always wore his Rasta colors on his on his wrists. You know, his his African colors uh, on his wrists when he played. And I think it gave him strength. You know, because I feel like he played for the people. You know, um, and I try to do that. You know, when when I play, and you know, and um, I respect you know the working class because I feel like they work just as hard as we do, and um, and and I'll, I I respect I respect this city because it's given me so much. Unfortunately, you know, there's. Um, issues in the city that I'm not going to turn my back to. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to try to help the best way I can. You um, uh, you remind me of, I, I was uh, walking through the arena once after the game, and Jerry Sloan was uh, the coach of the Utah Jazz at the time. You know, his number's up there in the rafters. Another hardworking guy. Hard-working, yeah. And uh, the reporters were saying, well, you guys, they had lost. Bulls have won. I think you must have been playing for the Bulls at the time and they said to him um, are you uh, are you guys tired you know this is your fourth game in five days or something it was it was a, they were on a tough and he he went nuts and said uh, tired he said these guys work two and a half hours a day he said there are people out there who work 12 hours a day to buy the tickets he said tired don't tell me about tired now he's a little old school mm-hmm. but he had a point there that um uh, you know, people work hard just to get into that, uh, just to get into that uh, arena. What? Um, t- talk to me a little bit about spending half your life in France and half your life uh, here, mm-hmm. and the difference of like culture. Culture, yeah. Uh, well, it's very different, um, but I was always able. My father was a tennis player. And uh, I think we were, we were, you know, pretty well off and very lucky enough to travel, you know. Um, and just, you know, I, I was always able to, um, you know, just see the different cultures and and really see the dif- see the differences between between them. And I think it just it allowed me a chance to. To look at them for what they were, and it just—it it was just—it's uh, great. I'm able to be critical um, and appreciate. I uh, one of the things that about uh, Barack Obama that struck me from the beginning when I started working with him was the experience of having lived overseas and lived in different places. You know, from Indonesia to Hawaii to the inner city to Harvard. He seemed very comfortable with people, like whoever he found. You know, he had been exposed to so many different kinds of people. I mean, do you feel that about yourself? Well, yeah, I'm a mutt, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what he said. (laughs) Um, You know, um, I was... My mother's Swedish, but she's a very open-minded person. Mom's a hippie. You yeah, know. I know your mom. Your mom's a great gal. <laughs> My mom's a you know very an artist who's um, she's she's great. You know, I was raised by my mother. 
and uh, we would go to Sweden a lot growing up. Um, this farmland, I remember people used to look at me all weird because we definitely didn't look like them. <laughs> you know, they were all blonde with blue eyes, like living in a farm. And here we come, you know, just me and my sister looking like two avatars, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And then the same thing, we would go to Africa, where my father was from, and, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just, we would just always look, we always were, di- we were always different, you know. So when we moved to New York, it was kind of like the first time, like, ah, okay, melting pot, you know, perfect. This is, this is a little bit more like, like us, but you have to be, we were always comfortable wherever we were. You still spend a lot of time in New York? I grew up in New York. Yeah, New York is New York is home. Brooklyn's changed a lot. Brooklyn has changed a lot. My mother's lived in Brooklyn for, you know, 10 years now. And it's just unbelievable just going back every summer and just seeing how fast that city's moving. You know, yeah. It's, just, it's crazy. Yeah. I uh, When I was a kid, you know, the, I went to Brooklyn. My grandmother lived there, but there wasn't a whole lot of reason to go to Brooklyn. Now there's a lot of stuff happening there. But um, what? So talk a little bit about you. You must have react had reacted pretty v- viscerally when you saw what happened in Paris, like those clubs, those streets. You're familiar with them. Yeah, it's just really sad. It's really sad what's going on. You know, just um, you know, when you just hear people, you know, people killing each other in the name of God. I mean, it's, like, it's just it's just hard to it's just hard to understand, and you know, just you know, your obviously you know your mind just goes there because you know this is this is a this is like home this is my second home, Paris, and just um, I, you know I, I lived in New York during the the nine eleven, and I was going to school in Brooklyn, and I just remember like the conversations that we had, and everybody's just you know obviously very passionate and sad and you know there's a lot of ignorance that comes after it and it's just it's just um it's just tough times but at the end of the day I think it also um unites the people a little bit and I think that's what's going to happen in Paris you know seems to be seems to be so uh I I can't let you go without talking a little about basketball but when you you must have people who are role models to you, people who inspire you in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are some of those? You know, um, for some reason, when I was younger, it was always the Knicks teams mm-hmm. because I just loved their their toughness. Um, and I, I was always... They don't claim you anymore, by the way. <laughs> I want you to know. They don't, they don't. You're not the most popular guy there. But I was more of a, you know, Patrick Ewing, John Starks, Charles Oakley. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those. He was here guys. for a while. He mm-hmm. bruised up a few guys while he was here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. I love the fact that in the video they show before the games, you're, you're warming up, but they're showing everybody's highlights, great shots, passes, rebounds, and the Oakley highlight is him, I think, fighting with Rick Mahorn or something. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right. But I mean, to me, it's like he represents a guy like Charles Oakley. You don't hear about him too much, but he represents what you know. Knicks basketball was all about to me. Anyway, mm-hmm. you know, just 
And you know, and still, I'm sure that guy walks down the street in New York and he probably gets so much love just because he is what New York Knicks is supposed to be. Do you, uh, and what about, uh, 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 are there specific players who you watched and said, I'm going to pattern my game after? Mm-hmm. I know you didn't pattern your shot that. after anybody, so I'm not going to ask you about that. <laughs> Very unique. <laughs> but, uh, unique. But, but what about the, the, your, your basic approach to the game? Um, I loved watching, you know, Kevin Garnett growing up. Um, you know, those guys, Dirk Nowitzki. Those are guys that, you know, I I, pat, I tried I tried anyway to pattern my game after. What do you? What's it like when you first get to the NBA and you step on the court with these guys against some of your yeah. childhood heroes that yeah. you had posters of and yeah. wear their jerseys? I guess you hope not to be in a poster, right? <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's crazy because. You grew up your whole life admiring these guys, and now all of a sudden you're competing against them. And I remember with Kevin Garnett, especially, it was um, I was really I admired this guy. And I remember telling the game was over. There was like 20 seconds left, and I remember saying something to him, and it didn't go well. Uh huh. So it's been on ever since. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. Yeah. No, I know you guys aren't like uh, nobody would think of you as pals. No, uh, but uh, but the truth is, one of your qualities you play very hard. I mean, the people in this town love you because you're a kind of a, as we say, blue collar guy out there on the court, and you play very hard. But that pisses everybody else off when you go to other cities. Uh, Cleveland, they love to hate you in Cleveland, don't they? Well, I've, I've said some things myself <laughs> that um, I deserve it. Put it that way. You, you've earned their hate. Huh? I've earned their hate. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't bother you though. No. Yeah. So how about these bulls? Yeah. I mean, um, I think we have a lot of work to do, um, but overall, there's a lot of talent on this team. Uh, new coach, new philosophies, and we just got to keep building. It's a, it's a, a lot of basketball left, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how we can, you know, come together and. Uh, make it happen I've been a the first thing I did when I got a job uh, after college I got, went to work as a newspaper reporter was get season tickets to the Bulls this was in 1976 when were you born 1985 right so uh, painful I did that to myself <laughs> but six dollars six dollars a piece the tickets were wow. in the first balcony center court great seats different crowd because you know, as I mentioned before, people could uh, afford to go to the game. Uh, but I, uh, but I've been rooting for this team for a long time, and uh, and watching this team for a long time. And I probably there probably hasn't been a starker contrast between two coaches than Tom Thibodeau mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and the incumbent Fred Hoiberg. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you make that transition from a guy who is the ultimate hard ass? To a guy who was a player, much more freeform in his approach. Um, you, you and Thibodeau. I remember when you got an award, and um, you guys were joking about uh, your relationship—sort uh, of a love-hate relationship. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and I won't even get into what the proportions were. 
but he was a, obviously a great coach for you. Uh, he um, uh, how, how hard is it to make that adjustment when you get a different guy? And... It's, no, it's, it's definitely an adjustment, you know, when, especially when you're used to playing for somebody for so long. And um, you got to give a lot of credit to Tibbs because, you know, he was somebody who worked extremely hard and who lived and died basketball, lives and dies basketball every day, almost uh, <laughs> almost to a fault, you know. But, um, you know, I have nothing but, you know, good things to say about him. You know, whatever happened in the past, that's, um, that's between us, but I have a lot of respect for him. You know, a lot of our success and a lot of the best times I've had in my career were with him at the Rome, so... Um, you know that that it is what it is. I have nothing but respect for him for that. Um, and you're still learning, I guess, about Fred, huh? And then Co- Coach Hoiberg is the complete opposite of Tibbs, um, but somebody who's uh, you know very who's hungry and wants to um, gives us a lot of freedom. But, you know, I think somebody who we're trying to all figure it out, figure out what we can do better. And somebody who's very open-minded to um, players coming in and um, talking to him about what we can do better and finding solutions. And um, and somebody who's played the game. So um, somebody who, uh, I don't know, I just feel like the approach is, I mean, he's very, uh, even the way he talks, you know, he's very quiet in the way he talks and stuff uh, compared to Tibbs it's it's uh it's unbelievable <laughs> it's a complete it's a, it's it's like night and day he was or day he, and night night and day or day and night yeah i get it so uh he actually you know fred hoiberg uh what i my first exposure to him was uh when i was working p- politics in iowa and he was a pretty big Democrat there. He was a big supporter of Tom Vilsack, who was the governor of Iowa. You know, they called him the mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> He's a politician, huh? Yeah, he is. That he makes is. sense. If this, does, if this goes south on him, you know, he's <laughs> fall back on He's that. a politician, huh? Before you go, um, you know, you mentioned earlier this, uh, you called yourself a mutt. It's exactly what the president calls himself when he talks about himself uh, coming from his background. His father from Africa, his mother from Kansas. Um, uh, and he wrote a whole book called Dreams from My Father about trying to figure out where he belonged uh, and what his identity uh, was. And, he, and, he, and his identity ultimately was firmly rooted in, in the African-American uh, community. Have you gone through that same sort of process, or did basketball draw you in one place or another? Or, do, you know, what... Yeah, I mean, basketball has definitely brought me a lot of places. And um, really, you know, I feel so blessed to, you know, live out my dream. But in terms of your own racial identity? My own racial identity? Man, I don't even, I don't even know what I am. But who cares? You know, who cares? Like, it's, it's, I mean, it's like, I'm, so, I'm so past that. It's like it doesn't even mean anything to me. Like, I just see people for what they are, you know. I'm like a strong believer in just vibes. Like mm-hmm. I can feel your vibe from a mile away, you know. That's just, that's how I feel, you know. I'm, I'm very comfortable um, being around, you know, poor people, being around rich people in suits, or it, I can be in Africa, you know, just with the poorest people in the world. 
doesn't it it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I just I, to me I remember. Do you think we spend too much time thinking about that stuff? Way too much, but it's real. It's a real thing. Like in America, I, I don't actually. You know what? No, I don't think we talk about it enough actually here because I think it's it's the race thing is there. So let's not act like it's not there because that's a lot of people. This it's very it's it's an issue. Uh, how long do you have on your contract here? Um, I have uh, this season. Oh, this is it? Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess that was a fact I should have known. Uh, do you want to finish your career here? I mean, I think that right now it's just about staying focused on right now. And, you know, I know it sounds like a... Sounds like you're a politician. It sounds like a politician, for <laughs> real. But I'm not. I'm not, and I won't be. Uh-huh. But it's the truth. You know, I just have to... I can't focus. If I start thinking about that, I'm just going to drive myself crazy. Yeah. You know? well, well, let me tell you something. I don't think anybody's come to this city who's uh, fit in more than you or who has embraced the city uh, more than you. And frankly, they're... I can't think of very many people who've invested more of themselves in in the city. So, uh, to me, you're the heart and soul of the Chicago Bulls. Nice. I, I'd hate to see you go. Appreciate that. But people listen to this podcast all over the place. So, if you do go, someone's going to get a gift somewhere. But I hope you always stay close to the city. Always, always. I love this city. It's given me so much. And the last thing I'd like to say is just, if you hear this and you're against the violence in Chicago... Just um, check out rockyourdrop.com. It's a necklace um, that represents a teardrop, and it represents all the um, all the hardship and all the um, gun violence in Chicago. Trying to find solutions, and uh, I think it costs like thirty or forty dollars to to buy the necklace. It looks it looks great, and if you if you if you buy the necklace, just know all the money goes to after school programs to help the kids. So. Uh, we appreciate your help. Rockyourdrop.com. And your mom was the sculptor of the. My mama. Pendant. My mama. My mom made the sculpture a long time ago, and uh, she, she should be very proud. I know I am. Yeah, I know she is too, I, and she's proud of you. And I, and if this were TV, and not uh, a podcast, people could see that mm-hmm. pen and hanging on your. Yeah. Every day. Uh, neck. I wear it every day. Yeah. Well, you're putting the money to good use. Joakim Noah, thanks for being with us. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files. For more podcasts like this, subscribe to The Axe Files on iTunes. And for more programming from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, visit politics.uchicago.edu.